Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. In this special weekend podcast, Glenn talks about the week's legal recap, his ideas on how we can reform certain laws, and he wraps it up with listener email. First, he untangles the many investigations of Donald Trump. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. I am very happy to be with you for our extended weekend Justice Matters chat. As you may know, we usually break things up into three segments or blocks the A block, the B block, the C block. And what we'll do today, we'll start with the A block, our weekly legal recap, recapping the biggest news stories that broke over the course of the past week. And I know everyone will be shocked to hear that we'll be focusing on Trump's troubles. The many crimes and criminal investigations swirling around Donald Trump. Will one ever come to fruition? I think the answer to that question is absolutely yes. They will come to fruition. Hang in there, friends. Hold on. We're going to get there. And then we'll move into the B block. And the B block typically involves a discussion of the need to reform something in our government that we know is broken. And we generally try to come up with some common sense proposals about how to fix what's broken. Spoiler alert this week, I'm gonna talk about a problem today that, um, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do about, but I will certainly welcome your input, your feedback, your comments, If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to send them to me. Um, You can go to my website, glennkirshner.com, and send me a message. I promise you I read every single message that you all send, and I am grateful that you do send me your questions and your concerns and your observations because that sort of helps me fine-tune the, the direction that, that we go in here at Justice Matters. And let me just add this, friends, a little off the cuff, but I don't think anybody will listen to my Justice Matters podcasts or go on to my Justice Matters channel at YouTube, where, as you may know, we post a legal analysis video every day, seven days a week. I don't think anybody will watch me or listen to me and say, you know what? Glenn's stuff has great production values. Yeah, no, no one has ever accused my videos or my podcast of having great production values. So you know what, friends? I'm going to embrace that because I wouldn't know how to create great production values if you sat down and gave me a third grade tutorial. You know, I was a prosecutor for 30 years in courtrooms you know, federal and local, in courtrooms, both trial courts and appellate courts, in courtrooms, both military courts and civilian courts, arguing to juries, questioning witnesses, arguing legal issues to judges. You know, this is what I know to the extent I know anything. It's what I chose to do for 30 years because I loved doing it. I loved working with witnesses and victims, and in murder cases, the family members of victims. I love arguing legal issues to trial court judges or in the appellate courts. I loved arguing to juries. I mean, to me, that was sort of complete job satisfaction and personal satisfaction all rolled into one. But what I don't know a thing about 
is production values on podcasts or videos. So I'm going to embrace it. So here's what I'm going to say, friends. I'm not going to try to edit out every mistake I make. So you're going to hear me rustling papers. You're going to hear me make mistakes. You're going to hear me taking a sip of my coffee. I'm a little bit of a coffee addict. And hopefully we're all going to roll with it together. And it's going to end up sounding the way this would sound if we were sitting at the kitchen table, just talking over a cup of coffee like old friends or family members. That's the goal. Frankly, I don't think I can do much better than that anyway. Certainly not on the production value front. Okay, with that caveat, now let's talk about what we're going to do in the C block. In the B block, we're going to talk about reform. And the C block typically involves me answering a question or talking about a message I received. And um, the C block is kind of turning into a discussion about a, a personal episode in my life or aspect of my life that hopefully is either interesting or meaningful in some way, certainly meaningful to me. And maybe hopefully these stories will be meaningful to you. And let me preview that now because yesterday would have been my father's 85th birthday. So friends, with your kind indulgence, I, I want to tell a short story in the C block about my late father, Lou Kirshner. And it's a story that was prompted by a comment that one of you sent, one of our Team Justice friends, our Team Justice members sent me that was extraordinarily meaningful to me. And now, on the day after my father's, what would have been 85th birthday, I want to share a personal story about my pop with you all. But first, let's turn to the A Block and the legal recap. So friends, I have a feeling for the foreseeable future, the legal recap will almost always involve Donald Trump's troubles. Today, we're going to take them geographically. We're going to start up north, and we're going to head down south. So first up, we've got the New York District Attorney's criminal investigation of Donald Trump's many crimes that are swirling around his hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. Those are crimes he committed in concert with, together with his co-conspirator, Michael Cohen, who is testifying against Donald Trump. And Michael Cohen has the receipts. And Alvin Bragg, the district attorney up in Manhattan, seems to be on the verge, nearly on the eve, of indicting Donald Trump for what I suspect will be a whole batch of crimes, not just one crime of falsifying business records, but they're likely going to be tax crimes. There are going to be campaign finance crimes. There's going to be a conspiracy. There's going to be lots of crimes charged, I suspect, sort of surrounding the hush money payments Trump made to Stormy Daniels to bury deeply damaging information about him, right, that the American voters were entitled to know back in 2016. He hid it. He buried it. He paid somebody off to keep that information from exploding in the public square. And essentially what Trump did with the assistance of Michael Cohen was rob the American people of the full value of their vote. So he should be held accountable for that. So whereas it sure looks like Donald Trump is about to be indicted any moment up in New York, he was not arrested on Tuesday. It's not exactly breaking news now on the weekend, is it? But recall Donald Trump, and he was the only person on the planet who said this. Donald Trump said, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday in New York. He posted that on his third-rate social media platform. In essence, he posted something that communicated, come to New York on Tuesday for my arraignment will be wild. Where have we heard that before? Now, what he actually said was something along the lines of, I'm going to be arrested in Manhattan by the New York District Attorney on Tuesday. Protest, take back our nation. That is a not 
so thinly veiled call to violence. We've seen that movie before on January 6th, yet no prosecutor has seen fit to tackle this ongoing imminent danger to our nation. The danger that is Donald Trump. Now friends, that observation perhaps can be seen as some foreshadowing regarding what we're gonna be talking about in the B block, the reform block. But it does look like Donald Trump is likely to be indicted soon in New York. And one of the really fun topics that I wanna take on regarding the New York case against Donald Trump is what Alvin Bragg just said to Republican representative and chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. Because you probably know, in a breathtakingly unconstitutional move, Jim Jordan, together with two other Republican committee chairmen, wrote a letter to Alvin Bragg, demanding that Alvin Bragg explain himself for criminally investigating Donald Trump and for potentially indicting Donald Trump for his crimes. That letter by Jim Jordan is an attempt to obstruct the New York case against Donald Trump. Will anybody hold Jim Jordan accountable for it? What do you think, friends? But Jim Jordan sent this obstructionist letter to District Attorney Bragg and District Attorney Bragg sent Jim Jordan a letter right back and it is a letter for the ages. Now, I wanna quickly take you through this letter because it's just too good not to discuss. So the letter dated March 23rd, 2023 is signed by the general counsel for the New York District Attorney's Office, Leslie Dubeck. And boy, this letter <laughs> is really something. Now it is addressed to the Jim Jordan and the Brian Steele and the James Comer. You can tell I'm having a hard time spitting out the words honorable. I am not gonna say the honorable Jim Jordan because ain't nothing honorable about Jim Jordan. And here's how the letter opens. Dear Chairman Jordan Steele and Comer, the District Attorney of New York County is investigating allegations that Donald Trump engaged in violations of New York State penal law. The investigation is one of thousands conducted by the Office of the District Attorney in its long history of pursuing justice and protecting New Yorkers. The investigation has been conducted consistently with the District Attorney's oath to faithfully execute the laws of the state of New York. The district attorney pledged that the DA's office would publicly state the conclusion of our investigation, whether we conclude our work without bringing charges or move forward with an indictment. He, that is District Attorney Bragg, stands by that pledge, and if charges are brought at the conclusion, it will be because the rule of law and faithful execution of the district attorney's duty require it. Your letter, Jim, I added Jim as an editorial comment, which I will do throughout this letter, because you know, I'm a gutter kid from Jersey and I can't help myself. Your letter, Jim, dated March 20th, in contrast is an unprecedented inquiry into a pending local prosecution. Your letter came only after Donald Trump created a false expectation that he would be arrested the next day. That would have been Tuesday. And his lawyers, Donald Trump's lawyers, reportedly urged you, Jim, to intervene. Neither fact is a legitimate basis for congressional inquiry. The letter continues. The district attorney is obliged by the federal and state constitutions to protect the independence of state law enforcement functions from federal interference. In other words, butt out, Jim. My editorial edition. The letter continues. 
Your letter, Jim, seeks non-public information about a criminal investigation which is confidential under state law. In other words, you, Jim, might not care about following the law, but we here in New York do, so we will not be turning over any evidence to you about our ongoing criminal investigation of Donald Trump, because if we did, we would be violating New York state law. The letter continues, the DA's office is cognizant, that is aware, of DOJ's longstanding policy of not providing Congress with non-public information about investigations. You have to love it. That is General Counsel Dubeck saying to Jim Jordan, uh, yeah, Jim, you couldn't even get this information from your own law enforcement agency, from a federal law enforcement agency, the Department of Justice. They have a longstanding policy of not giving you this kind of information. And we, Jim, we're a separate sovereign. We're a separate government. We are the state of New York. So you really, really, really can't get it from us. And Jim, don't worry. I'm going to tell you why that is in a minute. We're going to talk about the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, the powers of the federal government versus the powers of the state government. Don't worry, Jim. I'm going to school you on all that. Hold tight, Jim, he said sarcastically, all my editorial comments. <laughs> the letter continues, your letter's requests, Jim, are unlawful, an unlawful incursion into New York's sovereignty. That's right, Jim, we're a sovereign state, separate and apart from the federal government. And then General Counsel Leslie Dubeck goes on to school Jim Jordan like he's a third grader about the Constitution and the applicable Supreme Court precedent. Quote, the Constitution limits Congress's powers to those specifically enumerated, and the Tenth Amendment ensures that any unenumerated powers are reserved to the states. It is therefore generally understood, Jim, that a congressional committee may not inquire into matters which are reserved to the states. And friends, in case you don't have your copy of the Constitution handy, here is the 10th Amendment. Here's what it says. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or the people. Let me translate that from legalese into English. The powers that are not expressly given to the federal government belong to the states. They're reserved to the states and the people. And the powers that are given to the federal government by the Constitution are few and enumerated. And those are the exclusive powers of the federal government. I'm not going to get into how we have expanded the power and the scope and the breadth and the reach of federal government authority over the years. I'm just gonna stick with the 10th Amendment right now because it says, hey feds, if the Constitution hasn't given you these rights, then they're ours, the states, including New York, like our local law enforcement function in New York. It's none of your damn business, Jim. Again, my editorial comments. You're probably discerning the pattern here. So the letter continues. I don't have too much more friends, but this is just too good not to go through. General Counsel Dubeck goes on to say, quote, among the powers reserved to the states, perhaps the clearest example of traditional state authority is the punishment of local criminal activity. Thus, federal interference with state law enforcement, quote, is peculiarly inconsistent with our federal framework. And throughout this letter, General Counsel Dubeck helpfully cites Supreme Court precedent supporting each and every assertion she makes. Just in case Jim wants to look it up for himself, of course, notwithstanding the fact that he went to law school, he claims he never took the bar exam. So 
you know, is he qualified to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee? Question answers itself. So she then summarizes by saying, your requests are, quote, unconstitutional. Here's how she closes out her letter. We trust that you appreciate the importance of our federal system, state law enforcement activities, and the critical need to maintain the integrity and independence of state criminal law enforcement from federal interference. In other words, if I can add my own translation and editorial spin on that, General Counsel Dubeck, speaking on behalf of District Attorney Alvin Bragg, says in substance, Jim, so why don't you just take your little attempt to obstruct our criminal investigation of Donald Trump and, you know, just put it where the sun don't shine respectfully, to which I say, bravo, General Counsel Leslie Dubeck and New York District Attorney Alvin Brack. Coming up next, Glenn gives his take on how Special Counsel Jack Smith is doing with his investigation of Trump's classified document scandal and his involvement in the January 6th insurrection. This is Justice Matters. Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I am loving the warmer weather and the sunnier skies. It makes you want to get out and move and get healthy. And you can help yourself get healthy and meet your wellness goals with no prep, no mess meals from Factormeals.com. There's a whole menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat in a well-balanced way. What's my favorite? I love the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken with spicy cilantro cauliflower rice. So flavorful and healthy, too. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's glen50 at factormeals.com slash glenn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factormeals.com slash Glenn 50. Go there. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This week, there are major developments in the DOJ's probe of Donald Trump. Will former Vice President Mike Pence be compelled to testify against his former boss? Here's Glenn. Okay. So now, friends from New York, let's head south a couple of hundred miles to Washington, D.C., that's my backyard, personally and professionally. And let's have a quick look at the two massive criminal investigations that are underway, investigating the crimes of Donald Trump, cases in which evidence is being presented in what is a pretty fast and furious manner by special counsel Jack Smith being presented to the grand jury. There are two enormous developments this week. The first involves the grand jury testimony of Mike Pence against Donald Trump. Because now even Mike Pence's aides are acknowledging that Mike Pence is gonna have to testify. He's gonna have to appear before the grand jury and testify about Donald Trump's illegal pressure campaign, trying to get him to corruptly refuse to declare Joe Biden the winner on January 6th Donald Trump's attempt 
to criminally convince Mike Pence to throw him the election, Donald Trump's attempt to unconstitutionally retain the power of the presidency, contrary to the will of the American voters. Friends, these ain't misdemeanors. This ain't jaywalking or shoplifting. You know, this ain't small potatoes. This is a democracy-busting criminal course of conduct. And Mike Pence will be forced to testify about it before the grand jury. Why? Because his asserted privileges will fail, and fail spectacularly. There is no executive privilege that shields Mike Pence from having to testify. Frankly, that issue has already been resolved by the courts several times over. And Mike Pence has no speech or debate clause privilege. That's a privilege that only legislators, members of Congress can assert. And Mike Pence ain't a legislator. So he cannot avail himself of speech or debate clause protection, right? Just because he had some ceremonial duties on January 6th, opening envelopes, counting electoral college votes. You know, it's like a, a glorified award ceremony. That doesn't make him a member of Congress who has speech or debate clause protection against testifying. Now. Let's just look as an example at Lindsey Graham for a minute. Yes, I hate to inject Lindsey into a conversation if I don't have to, but look, Lindsey Graham actually is a legislator. Not much of one, but he is a member of Congress. And Lindsey Graham tried to claim speech or debate clause protection as a way of avoiding having to testify in the Georgia State Grand Jury. And even though Lindsay actually has speech or debate clause protection because he is a member of Congress, what did the courts say to Lil Lindsay, up to and including the Supreme Court of the United States? When Lindsay tried to say, I don't have to go into the grand jury, I have speech or debate clause protection. Yeah, well, the judges said, you're wrong, Lindsay. Yes, you're a member of Congress. Yes, you have speech or debate clause protection, which is designed to protect legislators who are engaged in a robust discussion of federal legislation. They said, yeah, you have it because you're a member of Congress. So here's what you're gonna do, Lindsay. You're gonna go into the grand jury. You're gonna testify and answer every single question the prosecutors ask you that doesn't involve your legislative activities, that doesn't involve speech or debate. And there are probably a thousand questions that don't involve speech or debate. And if there's, there are one or two questions where you can legitimately invoke the privilege because a prosecutor is asking you about your legislative activity, then you invoke it. But what you can't do, Lindsay, is hold up this privilege as a sword, blocking you from even entering the grand jury room. So get in there and testify. And as we all know, testify he did. And we are still waiting to see what the results of that will be in Georgia. We're gonna head south to Georgia in a minute. But the point of that is Mike Pence cannot co-opt that privilege for himself. He's not a member of Congress. He's not a legislator. He doesn't have speech or debate clause protection, and he can't hold it up as a sword to keep himself out of the grand jury room. And friends, when Mike Pence testifies against Donald Trump in that grand jury, and he will, his testimony will be deeply damaging, sharply incriminating of Donald Trump. Okay, the one other big development in Washington is that Donald Trump's own lawyer, former federal prosecutor Evan Corcoran, has been ordered to testify in the grand jury about, and in a very real sense, against Donald 
Trump. So let's spend a minute unraveling this one. Now, let me start with um, full disclosure. I know Evan Corcoran personally. I worked with him at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. We actually had a murder case in common uh, against uh, sort of the Teflon defendant du jour, a guy named Corey Moore. And so I know Evan Corcoran from our days as federal prosecutors together. This was decades ago at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia. I don't maintain a friendship with him, though I did talk to him while he was <laughs> defending Steve Bannon in Steve Bannon's criminal trial. I attended that trial. I covered it for MSNBC and spoke with Evan. I have no ill will toward Evan other than, you know, it's really disappointing seeing where he is today, the fix he's gotten himself into. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But right as of right now, the judge, the chief judge in D.C. federal court has ordered Evan Corcoran to testify about the crimes of Donald Trump. How can that be? How can we, the prosecutors, have a criminal defense attorney testify against his client? Well, I'm sure you've heard about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there's this thing called the crime fraud exception. Ordinarily, a defense attorney can decline to say anything about his client because he can invoke attorney-client privilege. But if you're doing crime with your client or your client is having you commit crimes on his behalf unwittingly, well then you don't get to invoke attorney-client privilege. You can be ordered to testify because the crime fraud exception causes the attorney-client privilege to poof evaporate. And that's where we are. So Evan Corcoran has been ordered to testify about Donald Trump's crimes concerning the classified materials he unlawfully took to and retained at Mar-a-Lago, right? Because remember, Donald Trump had Evan Corcoran sign a certification that all documents have been turned over and that was then delivered to the federal government. Now, I should say Evan Corcoran drafted that statement and Christina Bob, one of Trump's other lawyers who has already testified in the grand jury, signed that statement. And it looks like that whole course of conduct was criminal because we know Donald Trump did still have classified documents, including in his own desk drawers at Mar-a-Lago. Those were found during the course of a judicially authorized search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. And so here is the predicament Evan Corcoran finds himself in. He's got to march into the grand jury and he's going to do one of two things, friends. He is either going to testify fully and truthfully because he doesn't believe he did anything wrong. For example, he can say, listen, Donald Trump fed me all this information and I believed it to be true. And so I drafted this letter that Christina Bob then signed. I don't think I did anything wrong. I have since come to learn that Donald Trump was lying to me. So he was basically using me as a pawn to continue to commit those classified documents, crimes and obstruct justice by lying to the federal government and ultimately violating a grand jury subpoena seeking the return of all those documents. But I didn't do anything wrong. He could certainly go that, that way. And if he testifies to that, I certainly hope it's true, because if it's not, then he's committing all kinds of federal felonies by lying to a grand jury, perjury, obstructing justice, accessory after the fact, perhaps conspiracy. Or if Evan Corcoran knew he was doing something wrong, if he was part of Donald Trump's course of criminal conduct, trying to obstruct justice and unlawfully retain these classified documents, then what Evan Corcoran should do, and I'm quite sure will do on the advice of his counsel, is he'll plead the fifth. He'll invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And if he does that, Special Prosecutor Jack Smith will have a decision to make. Do I give Evan Corcoran immunity? Because if you give somebody immunity, then their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, poof, 
evaporates. You extinguish it with the immunity because then their testimony can't be used against them because they've been immunized against prosecution. So does Jack Smith give Evan Corcoran immunity, force him, compel him to testify about the crimes of Donald Trump, thereby using him as a witness against Donald Trump? Or if Jack Smith doesn't want to grant Evan Corcoran immunity because immunity makes it much more difficult to prosecute somebody for their crimes after you immunize them, doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it much more difficult. If Jack Smith has enough evidence to prosecute Evan Corcoran and make him part of Donald Trump's conspiracy in the big old conspiracy indictment I believe is coming, both in the Mar-a-Lago case and in the insurrection case, then he can prosecute Evan Corcoran, try to charge him, indict him, flip him, let him plead guilty and agree to cooperate, and then run him as a witness against Donald Trump. Either of those two options will be available to Jack Smith in the event Evan Corcoran pleads the fifth, and we'll have to wait to see how this plays out. But it ain't gonna play out well for Donald Trump, friends. It's just not. Okay, friends, let's finish our justice road trip down in Georgia. Now, I'm not gonna spend much time talking about the motion that Donald Trump's defense team filed. They called it a motion to quash grand jury report. It's a frivolous motion, it's a losing motion. Let me just give you 30 seconds on what a motion to quash actually is. Usually we see it when a subpoena is issued to a witness and the witness, together with the witness's lawyer, contends that the subpoena is not lawfully issued. There's some legal deficiency. So the witness and the lawyer might go into the judge and say, judge, we're gonna file a motion to quash the subpoena because we want you to throw it out. We want you to rule it's not lawfully issued such that we shouldn't have to comply with it. That's a motion to quash. Well, Donald Trump's legal team, geniuses that they are, said, we're gonna file a motion to quash the grand jury report. You know, that's not really a thing motion to quash a grand jury report. It will be denied by the judge. Really, the only lingering question is, will Donald Trump's defense team be sanctioned for filing what is largely a, a frivolous motion? But it was kind of quiet this past week down in Georgia, District Attorney Fawny Willis's investigation. There was some reporting that she is wrestling with the question of whether to bring racketeering charges and conspiracy charges against the dozen or more people the special grand jury recommended should be indicted. These are weighty issues. These are challenging issues. And I think we have to continue to give Fawny Willis the space and the time she needs to make these decisions. Let me tell you, friends, I have a feeling part of the delay is also you know, once we heard from the grand jurors who gave interviews as they were entitled to do, we heard from the grand jurors that a dozen or more people were recommended to be indicted. I, I can almost guarantee you District Attorney Willis is in the process of dealing with the defense attorneys for those dozen or more people who are about to be indicted and giving them one last opportunity to break from the pack, take responsibility for what they did, plead guilty perhaps to a lesser charge, and agree to cooperate truthfully against Donald Trump and the others. And those negotiations take time. You know, she's giving them an ultimatum, very likely. You will either find your name as one of the marquee defendants on a big old conspiracy racketeering indictment, or we can keep your name out of it altogether if you agree to take responsibility and you cooperate against the others. So we have to continue to give her the time and the space she needs to do this right, even though I understand the crime, the primary crime by Donald Trump was caught on tape, find me 11,780 votes and just corruptly declare me the winner of the election in Georgia. So hopefully, 
Fonnie Willis doesn't need much more time. That's really all I want to talk about with respect to the Georgia case. I want to finish up the legal recap with this. Because Donald Trump just posted a picture of himself holding up a baseball bat side by side with a picture of Alvin Bragg holding his hands up in front of him with what appears to be kind of a scared look on his face. He was obviously involved in making some kind of remarks or giving a speech and they caught him in a moment that made it look like he kind of had an apprehensive look on his face. But the message is clear. Donald Trump depicts himself with a baseball bat about to take a whack at the public official who is investigating his Donald Trump's crimes. And in recent days, Donald Trump has posted things about New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg, such as the following. What kind of person can charge another person in this case of a former president of the United States who got more votes than any sitting president in history and leading candidate by far for the Republican Party nomination with a crime when it is known by all that no crime has been committed and also known that potential death and destruction in such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country. Why and who would do such a thing? Only a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA. And Trump also posted, Alvin Bragg is a Soros-backed animal who just doesn't care about right or wrong, no matter how many people are hurt. So, you know, Donald Trump succeeds in rolling anti-Semitic and inhumane racist comments all in one sentence about the public official who is prosecuting him for his crimes. And friends, amidst all of this, multiple jurisdictions, lots of prosecutors have more than enough evidence to indict Donald Trump for his crimes and put some conditions on his behavior, put some sort of restraint in place to stop him from endangering the lives of people, to stop him from destroying our democracy, yet no prosecutor has acted. Doesn't mean they won't act. I have been saying for a very long time, just because Donald Trump hasn't been indicted yet, does not mean he won't be indicted. He will be indicted. But he should have been indicted a very long time ago down in Florida, had some documents that didn't belong to him. Grand jury demanded them back. He refused to give them back. He hid them. Not that tough a case to bring. And yet, with all of the evidence of probable cause, and with all of the federal judges who have already concluded by a preponderance of the evidence, a higher standard than probable cause, that Donald Trump has committed federal felony crimes, no prosecutor has seen fit to put an end to Donald Trump's dangerous conduct and his reign of terror. And we need to talk about fixing that problem. Because there's something very broken when Donald Trump can continue to do what he's been doing since 2016 with no accountability, with complete impunity. That's a problem that needs to be fixed. So let's segue into our relatively short discussion about reform. Coming up next, if a perpetrator is allowed to continue doing crimes even though a prosecutor has enough evidence to indict, is it fair to the victims? This is Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Why do some prosecutors continue to investigate crimes after they have enough probable cause to indict someone? Is there a way to change our laws to prevent this from happening? Here's Glenn. So friends, let me start with a little bit of background about how we investigate cases, particularly in the grand jury. When we're investigating a case in the grand jury, there becomes a really important moment, and it is the moment when we believe we have enough evidence to make out probable cause. Probable cause is the standard to arrest somebody and indict somebody. Now, there are higher burdens of proof in the law. For example, um, preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, 51%. That is a higher burden of proof than probable cause. Probable cause is lower than a preponderance of the evidence. And probable cause is the standard to arrest and indict. And here's the thing, friends. The minute we have probable cause... The prosecutors and the investigators, the detectives, the agents, have a decision to make. Do we continue to investigate the case in the grand jury without arresting the target once we have probable cause, or do we ask the grand jury to indict the target and we arrest the target, and then we continue to investigate in the grand jury with a view toward issuing subsequent or superseding indictments. But here's the thing. Once we have probable cause, we have to make a calculation every minute of every day as to whether it's the right thing to do to decline to arrest and indict the person because we already have enough evidence. And there are some prosecutors, particularly federal prosecutors, friends, take it from me, I know thousands of them, I supervised hundreds of them. I was supervised by many of them as a career fed. There are federal prosecutors who, once they have probable cause, they just want to keep on investigating, getting more evidence, building the perfect beast, trying to put together a case in the grand jury that is bulletproof, that can't be lost. Breaking news, no case is bulletproof, no case can't be lost. That's the nature of a criminal trial. And the problem is, when prosecutors have probable cause but decline to indict and arrest, instead they investigate and investigate and investigate and investigate ad nauseum, as we like to say in the law. In my opinion, they're doing a disservice to the victims and to the community. Because every moment after which you have probable cause and you fail to indict and you fail to arrest, you're leaving the criminal free to roam, to hold hate rallies, to threaten the lives of prosecutors, to inspire violence like on January 6th. You're leaving the criminal in the community. The criminal in this case, of course, is Donald Trump. And what I do not understand, friends, is how it can be that multiple prosecutors have had probable cause to arrest Donald Trump dating back to 2016 and certainly in the last two, three, four years and no one has acted. They have let him continue to roam free, endangering the lives of the American people, damaging our democracy, and I just don't understand why they are allowing him to continue his criminal ways long after they've had probable cause to indict, to arrest. So friends, this is where the reform piece comes in. What happens when our law enforcement agencies follow the facts and follow the law, as they are always telling us they want to do, and the facts are clear that Trump committed crimes, and the law applied to those facts 
inarguably militates in favor of an indictment and an arrest. And yet, our law enforcement officials, state, federal, local, all decline or refuse to act. What are the American people supposed to do? Let's break it down to an example that is more personal, more visceral. What about if your next door neighbor continues to burglarize your home, comes in repeatedly, steals your stuff, the police have more than enough evidence, you know, far beyond probable cause to arrest your neighbor for his continued burglarization of your home, but the police do nothing. What are you to do? Because that's what's happening writ large on the national stage. That's what Donald Trump is being permitted to do. So, you know, in the example of your next door neighbor burglarizing your home, I mean, vigilanteism is not the right answer, right? Taking the law into your own hands, that just creates more problems than it remedies. You can't take the law into your own hands unless you can take the law into your own hands. What do I mean by that? Well, friends, there are some jurisdictions that allow private citizens to apply for an arrest warrant. There are some jurisdictions that allow private citizens to try to initiate a grand jury investigation to see if there is evidence suggesting somebody has committed a crime and should be held accountable for it. Jurisdiction by jurisdiction, there are lots of different procedures in place that allow for at least some citizen involvement on the criminal justice front. And these vehicles that are available in some jurisdictions, I think inform us, inform me, that maybe this is one of the areas of reform we need to focus on. Right? What would be so bad about having in each jurisdiction, maybe one assigned judge out of the hundreds and hundreds of judges, or one assigned prosecutor, you know, of the hundreds of prosecutors, or maybe one day a week in a grand jury where citizens are permitted by law to use the mechanisms of government to try to hold folk accountable for their crimes when they're not being held accountable by law enforcement authorities. Yes, I know there's a parade of horribles that this conjures up, people abusing the process, nefariously using the process, but you know, just citing to the downside of a proposed reform, in my opinion, is not enough to stop a proposed reform dead in its tracks. And we're in the process of collecting up information about all 50 states, all jurisdictions, and the procedures, the processes that are in place that do allow for some citizen involvement of this kind. And it just seems like if ever we need it, it's now. Because Donald Trump has been committing crimes against we the people since 2016, and he hasn't suffered one minute of accountability for any of it. The man is walking, breathing, probable cause. And I think we should at least talk about how we can reform this, you know, quagmire in which we find ourselves. Coming up next, Glenn answers a listener question about his late father. This is Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. 
on Fail Better. David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. In his new Q&A segment, Glenn answers your questions and gives us a glimpse into his background and personal life. Okay, friends, as I promised, that was a short discussion about reform. And let's finish up with the C block, which, if you will indulge me, is a personal story. And it's a personal story that is prompted by a comment that somebody left me about, of all things, my late father, Lou Kirshner. As I mentioned in the A block, my father would have turned 85 years old yesterday. Uh, We lost him about 10 years ago to pancreatic cancer. And somebody posted a comment saying, Glenn, I've seen you on air or I've seen you on your YouTube channel, Justice Matters. Was your father Lou Kirshner who coached football at Passaic High School in New Jersey? Sure enough, that's my dad coached high school at Passaic and lots of other high schools in Jersey. And the person who posted this comment said, can I share a story with you about your dad? And again, with your kind indulgence, I want to share the story with you. This person said, you know, I was at Passaic High School when your dad coached there. And he said, I I just want you to know that all of the students loved your dad because he made each and every student that he interacted with feel special. He would focus his attention on a student who was asking him a question or engaged in a discussion, and he made you feel like whatever it was you were saying was, it was valuable, it was important, and it was, you know, worth his time to try to discuss it with you and figure it out or try to answer your question. And then he said, when your dad would walk down the hall, he always had this group of students around him everywhere he went. And it was because of the way they felt about him. Well, that was um, unbelievably heartwarming for me to hear that story. I didn't know that was how my father was perceived when he was coaching high school football when I was, you know, probably in kindergarten or first grade in Passaic, New Jersey. And it prompts me to want to tell this additional story about my dad's final days. I'm going to keep this short just to try to get through it without breaking down. So my dad was diagnosed with late stage pancreatic cancer. And he lived in Brooklyn at the time, and he was an Army veteran. He was, had been a staff sergeant in the Army. He was on active duty and then ultimately retired out of the Army Reserves. And he spent a lot of time at the Brooklyn VA hospital in the final months of his life. He was in and out and in and out until he remained in and couldn't be discharged again. And I, boy, distinctly remember when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and there was a, a surgeon by the name of Dr. Huldine, I hope I'm remembering her name correctly, Huldine, Huldine, who was a wonderful, caring, empathetic doctor, surgeon. And she said, you know, Glenn, we're gonna try to operate and remove the tumor on his pancreas. And the day my dad went under surgery, I was actually litigating a case in front of Judge Emmett Sullivan in federal district court in Washington, D.C. It was a bank robbery gone bad where somebody ended up getting killed during the course of the bank robbery. 
and it was nearing the end of the trial day, and I got a call from Dr. Hueldeen, and I could hear in her voice, even before she told me what had happened, that things had not gone well, and she said, Glenn, I'm so sorry. We went in, and we saw that the tumor had compromised too many major blood vessels. I don't even know if I have the medical jargon right. This is what I remember. And we couldn't remove it. She said, I had three other specialists scrub in during the surgery, and we all reached a consensus that we couldn't remove the tumor without running an unacceptable risk that your dad wouldn't survive the surgery. We're so sorry, there was nothing else we could do. And so it was clear that it was just a matter of time. So I excused myself for the rest of the trial day, headed up to the Brooklyn VA, and spent lots of time with my dad over the course of the sort of weeks and months while he unfortunately experienced this long downhill slide. And I want to kind of end this story on a positive note, a positive memory of my dad, because spending so much time at the Brooklyn VA hospital, and I know the VA often gets a bad rap, but I would see day after day, week after week, people coming into my dad's hospital room, doctors, nurses, the folks bringing my dad his meals, the, the orderlies, the people taking out the trash or mopping the floor. And my dad was hooked up to machines and he always had multiple IV bags going at all times. And my dad would interact with each one of these people every day in the same way at the end, before they left the room. When they were done doing whatever it was they had come to do, my dad would um, say, before you go, can you just come here? Come a little closer, just a little closer. He would sort of beckon them in with his index finger. Can you, can you just come a little closer? And he would say to them, regardless of who it was, he would point up to one of his IV bags and he said, you see that, that third bag to the left there? Can you do me a favor? Can you please just fill that one with Budweiser? And the doctor, the nurse, the orderly would laugh along with my dad, even though it was probably the 10th time they'd heard the same joke. And then before that person left the room, my dad would say the same thing to every one of them. He would say, thank you for taking care of me. And every single one of them, doctor, nurse, orderly, administrator, person bringing my dad his lunch, they would all say the same thing. They would say, Sergeant Kirshner, you took care of us. Now it's our turn to take care of you. <clears throat> and the fact that the VA gets a bad rap, boy, that was never my experience because I thought my dad not only got excellent care, but he had excellent people who cared about him in his final weeks, in his final months. And he never did get to leave the Brooklyn VA again um, because that's where he passed away. But um, I, for one, am a big fan. Yes, every federal government agency has problems, but I am a big fan of the VA generally and of the good, kind, caring people at the Brooklyn VA in particular. So friends, thank you for letting me share that story. I've told it before and can never get through it without breaking down. But let me finish up our weekend chat with a couple of things. One, if you've had a chance to watch my new documentary called Who Killed Robert Wan on Peacock Streaming, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had enjoy is maybe not the right word because it's the most confounding and frankly in many ways upsetting murder case I handled in my 30 years. But importantly, I'm trying to get the word out because there's a tip line on the documentary, the two-part documentary, 
urging you to call the number at the Metropolitan Police Department where my former detective is waiting to take any information to try to help answer the question, which is the title of the documentary, Who Killed Robert Wan? And then if you're looking to find me elsewhere, if you haven't grown tired of my voice by now, you can find me online. As I mentioned, my website is glenkirshner.com. Please drop me a note or a question or a comment. I read them all. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at glenkirshner2, the number two. My YouTube channel is uh, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner and my Patreon page where you can go if you are inclined to more formally support our all-volunteer efforts and our mission and our content, our fight for justice here at Justice Matters. Uh, you can go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron. And if you do, I'll send you some Teen Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. And friends, until next time, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon.